Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks, Chuck Barrett. Hey, former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, Highly Questionable, also a two-time Dan Lebetard Show Suey winner and a <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome into episode number 164 of the one and only Hog Talk Podcast, live from the Hyman Services Studios. I am your host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Porter Hayes, and we thank you, as always, for joining us. If you are a first-time listener, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever forum you're listening to. You can find us anywhere you listen, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we are there. And if you can, leave us a review along with some star power. It really helps get our name out there and to reach more people. And guys, before I get started, I want to let you know that the Hog Talk Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Football season has come to a close, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing, and the only place you should be entering your bets is betonline.ag. They offer hundreds of props with real-time odds on anything you can think of, even awards, TV shows, reality TV, and, of course, the online casino that never closes. So head to betonline.ag today. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline your online sportsbook experts and Porter. Like I said, football season has come to a close, and as sad as it is, we have just talked about it so many times all throughout this fall that we were very happy that we made it through high school. In the state of Arkansas, we had 132 cancellations for games. Eight eight teams opt out for the playoffs that everybody was eligible for this year. Made it through the college football season, and then we finished up with the Super Bowl, which is why, of course, we also moved our show back for a day. would be a little bit silly to uh, cover a game that uh, we would just be guessing on. But, man, we made it. We made it through a football season, and, uh, you know, many uh, were saying that we shouldn't have had it at all. And so, we just, uh, once again, I wanted to express gratitude just for everybody that did their part. And, again, we had a lot of cancellations, but, man, just the fact that we were able to do it, I uh, just cannot be thankful enough. I know, and there's so many people to thank. I mean, it got every. I mean, the coaches, the players, the medical staff. I mean, concession. I mean, anybody who took part in any game at any level. I mean, just got to tip the hat because, like you said, back in August, this was something that we didn't think was even going to happen. Now we're here in February, and we just got to see the Super Bowl, and you know, they had a few games that was. You know, had COVID issues, and that happened to a lot of teams, but we made it, and. It was a fun and exciting season, and we had a semi-exciting game last night, but we also got to see the the GOAT get his seventh ring. Yeah, just a phenomenal performance by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like you said, Tom Brady getting his seventh win. You know what's crazy is – so I'll be 31, I guess, as this dropped. uh, It's my birthday. I'll be 31 today. And he has been to a Super Bowl pretty much a third of my life. That's one, and then you you go through. We were talking about all the stats with the women's basketball team uh, against UConn, and some of the things that they overcame. Uh, just we were talking about beating a team of their caliber, and all that UConn has done over the past 20, 30 years, whatever it is. You think about that with Tom Brady too. And one of the craziest stats I actually read a couple of hours before we began recording: Calvin Johnson, Megatron, he was drafted, and then retired, and and inducted into the Hall of Fame. By the time I think Tom Brady had already reached his third Super Bowl by the time that he had gotten drafted, and so between his third and tenth Super Bowl, Calvin Johnson, one of the greatest receivers of all time, was drafted, retired, and inducted into the Hall of Fame in between Tom Brady's third and seventh Super Bowl. Uh, just, just unbelievable. You can, you can, you can hit those those jaw dropping stats all day long. You just continuously see them on Twitter. You see them on social media. But, man, I, I'm going to give a big shout. You know, Byron Leftwich did a great job with this offense this year. He's a great offensive mind. will be a head coach before too long. 
But how about the job by Todd Bowles? Everybody talked about that it was just almost impossible to stop this Chiefs offense. He contained Tyreek Hill. He contained Travis Kelsey. Now, I understand that this front seven is probably the best in football. The Rams might have something to say about that, but at least one of them. And also, too, it doesn't help that the Chiefs had some of their best offensive linemen out, a majority of their offensive line out. But just to be able to contain those guys and basically make Pat Mahomes try to find some other receivers, which he did hit some receivers in the hand, some in the face mask. But Todd Bowles, he's been a head coach before, and he's definitely going to be a head coach again at some point. Yeah, and the offensive line, that was a big deal because Mahomes was running this for his life. And I didn't realize how many offensive line that he was out. I thought it was just a couple. They said include it was like four total was out for the game. And then, so that just forces Buccaneers, all they got to do is rush four, but they split it up. Like they were explaining on the radio today, you know, a rush or, or a blitz is five or more. That's what they really technically consider a blitz. But like if you drop one of your defensive ends back and then bring a corner, they technically don't call that a blitz. But I mean, he's running for his life, and then so you could drop basically rush four, drop seven, and then force them to, you know, they wanted to take away the deep ball, and they did that. But when you got your offensive line out, I mean, it really helps the defense out. But nobody, including me, I I was in the majority that thought the Chiefs was going to win this game. It wasn't going to be close because how do you stop both of them at the same time? You could stop Hill or you could stop Kelsey, but I didn't see them. Stop a boat, but I mean, at halftime in the third quarter, I knew it was over. You could just see it in their face. Like there was one play where Kelsey missed a pass and he just had that dejected look on his face and they were done. So, you know, I kind of popped off and was talking about the refs in the first half, but yeah, they made some questionable calls, but you have a whole half to play and just seeing their face like they were just done. So I think that wipes everything away if you want to try to put any of it on the refs and the calls, because you still, you're only down 21, nine, you get a score, get the ball back and score again, you're right back in the game. So it, it was just a total defensive effort by the Buccaneers and, and they're young. So if everybody comes back next year, including Brady Gronk and that you're talking about stats, this was the first time a Super Bowl team scored a hundred percent of their points with people that wasn't on the roster last year, that's even the kick. Yeah, that's great. And, and that, I was going to bring that up too. You know, Gronk is not the Gronk of old, nice. clearly. But it's it just the fact that he was able to do they, – they knew that they were going to be able to utilize him. And it was just like – it was it was almost like the Patriots of, what, the last six, seven, eight, nine years, whatever it was. I was like, man, Gronk didn't really do much this year at all, and he's going to come in here and win a Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> you know, they, and of course, I mean, if, if, yeah, yeah, and if, if if they have two touchdowns, it's probably going to go to Brady no matter what, just because of his. Not that he's undeserving, but it was just kind of funny because you know it's like that's just such a Gronk thing, you know that kind of and what man, what a career, not just on the field, but to be able to do. I mean, this guy's been hadn't he been to WrestleMania? I know he's been doing stuff yeah, on been WWE. He's been, he's been on, to WrestleMania. Uh, he's been on game show or like on Dancing with Stars or one of the Mass Singer shows or something. I mean, he was on, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. All Antonio all Brown, thirty years play. old. Yeah, and Antonio Brown. You know, I'm. I know he's done some very questionable things. You know, he definitely ever since he took that shot. Uh, was it from Vontae Perfect? I, I think it was of the Bengals. He just really wasn't the same. At least, uh, yeah, his skills, but also mentally. Um, you know, that, that, that's really good, man. You like to see these comeback stories uh, of guys like that. You know, I'm again, I, I definitely don't agree with a lot of the things that he did. But, you know, you always like to see him come back. And even though, I, you know, that move that Honey Badger pulled about tweeting something kind of, that kind of seemed like – I don't want to get too deep into that, but it seemed like he was trying to say that Brady said something racial to him at their little conf- confrontation, and then he later deleted the tweet. Still, the fact of what he endured at LSU and then in her drug re- rehabilitation programs, gets drafted to the NFL, the, the Cardinals took a chance on him, he becomes an all-pro player – you see a lot of stuff like this every single year, but you see it a lot on the Super Bowl teams too. And so this Chiefs defense was very good this year too, but Tom Brady just – you talk, you mentioned about the looks that was on Travis Kelsey's face and some of the players from the Chiefs. Tom Brady gave him that look that you see on the sidelines. It's like, oh, boy, here we go again. I mean, it has been – Porter, I think I started hearing in 2013, 2014, this guy is done. I think it was 2014 – 
sometime around there where they started off like one and three or zero and four, and that was when you really began to start hearing the talks of well, he's in his late thirties, he's on that that downward climb, and it just seems like like you said, this team is probably set up with the way that they are for another year or two, at least by the time that Brady's around 45. And it's not crazy to think that he could be in his mid-40s still winning freaking Super Bowls. Oh, yeah. I, I, when we talk about Brady and the GOAT conversation, what really were – it was hard for me to let go of it. You know, you always hold on to your idols and Montana and stuff. But, you know, Bruce Arians was trying to run his offense. He was trying to do things his way. The team, uh, two months ago, they weren't even going to make the playoffs. We forget about the, the the train wreck they were about to go down. You know, they wasn't re- that really good of a team. And something clicked, something happened, and Tom Brady just basically, and him and Byron Ruffich finally clicked, like, all right, we're going to do things this way. And they went on an 8-0 run, won eight games in a row. And – that's when it seemed to me that, okay, he is the greatest of all time because he took over a team that was 7-9 and nine last year. The coaches won one playoff game ever and took these guys that nobody wanted, Leonard Fournette, another um, playoff Lenny, I mean, was on waiver wires with the Jaguars, and so now he's running all over the Chiefs. But just how, and in the COVID year, and how they done everything, and just the performance – even and I got a couple of friends that are Patriots fans slash Buccaneers fans. There's a lot of that this year. So um, I told him, I said, him even he don't even have to get to the Super Bowl this year for me to call him to the goat because of what he endured, how he handled that team and took him to the Super Bowl. And it's fitting they won it in their own stadium. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any debate. This team, of course, like like you said, you bring in Leonard Fournette, you bring in Antonio Brown, Gronk, and Brady. They were a good team last year. Jameis Winston led the league in passing, but he also led the team in interceptions. He had like 30. It was a record. But I, I got to say this. I, I have not ever doubted Tom Brady just because the times that I've thought about it in my mind. Okay, so I haven't ever publicly done it. I've thought about it in my mind through the years, but then he always tends to prove me wrong. But I – have always, or not always, over the last year or two, maybe three, have doubted Bruce Aries. I know he retired uh, and then took a little bit of time off, but his this whole risk it for the biscuit, that's what I kept saying is like you're really you're wasting Jameis Winston's ability because, yes, he's a little bit of a knucklehead, but he has tons of talent. But this whole thing, the re- I think the reason why, or at least I thought at that time, the reason why that was all happening while he was throwing all those interceptions was because it's basically just like throw it as far as you can. And look, Bruce Arians is, has a proven track record. He's coached some of the greatest quarterbacks in the game. Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning. The list goes on and on and on. Now Tom Brady. And so he's got a track record as an offensive coordinator, especially that has proven to be successful. But I just, I, I don't know. When they were 7-5 and five and then Tony Romo said, kind of like what you were talking about, how they went on that run, Tony Romo said after the Chiefs-Bucks Chiefs matchup earlier in the regular season that they could possibly end up being back in that same spot for the Super Bowl and just being the Nostradamus that, that Tony Romo is ended up happening. But I got to give some shouts there. To, I, I, gave, I gave shouts to Byron Leftis. I gave shouts to... Todd Bowles, I got to give him to to Bruce Arians too. He's, uh, I think he's the second, or actually, he is the oldest the oldest coach to ever win a Super Bowl. And uh, man, you know what's crazy? It was awesome too. His mother was there. She's like, not, did you see that when they slid over to her? She's like ninety five years old. Looks like she's probably in her late seventies, early eighties. Uh, that was really cool for her to be there to see that to see her son win his first one as the mm-hmm. oldest coach, man, just, uh, it's always great. You you love to see that kind of stuff. And this year was just a little bit more special just because we got to see state championships. We got to see a national championship and we got to see a super bowl. And so, um, yeah. you know, I think hopefully next year we'll be back to normalcy for the most part. Uh, I still won't necessarily believe that we'll have full capacity state. I think it's a very good chance, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, man, uh, just, just an incredible year, but, We'll switch gears over to uh, to basketball. Part of the uh, women's basketball team, uh, Arkansas won, or they lost another heartbreaker in the Texas A and M series. So this year, what was it, seventy three, seventy two in the first round? I know it was one point, and then the other day uh, was two points, and so a total of three points that you lose to A and M this year, uh, man, on some questionable no calls. Uh, you know, they talk about refs right there. We're not blaming it on on them the, the, the losses, but 
those are two tough ways to, to lose a game the way that the Ladybacks have to the Aggies this year. Yeah, and they had a slow start. And I was talking to my buddy Pat today earlier, and you know it was a two o'clock game, three o'clock game, and you know they're leaving the day of, so it's not like it was a six o'clock or seven o'clock game where they can get on a plane, rest a little bit, and then go to the game. So that that's part of it. I mean, uh, Slocum was just having a little rough rough game, and Chelsea just couldn't seem to get, and they. They took her out of the game when they were calling her for those two charges in a row, which to me it's it's a bang bang plays. And I think these girl I think they really need to look is when the offensive player is going to jump and then you slide in front of them, there's nothing you can do about that. And they're getting charges. And a lot of it is they're keying in on what Chelsea's doing when she drops. She'll cross, cross, and then drop. So it was good scouting in a in, in a way on on them on Texas A and M, you know, because who knows Arkansas better than Gary Blair? And they just couldn't get the shots off. Amber Ramirez, she's catching fire. I mean, she was just I mean, that one was from again, it was from Greenland. And they they let Texas A and M, like we talked about the third quarter and how Arkansas goes on that run and gets the cushion. That's exactly what Texas A and M did, and that's what got them in the game. Now, you know, there was a questionable call at the end again, but you know, in, in teams like this, you know you can beat. You have to build that cushion because basketball is a game of runs, and you can't get caught. You know, you're up five. Now you're down 12. So now you're in a big hole in the fourth quarter, and they went on a 12-0 run, but they let a girl, Nixon again, same girl that got him in Fayetteville, got him in Texas A&M. Well, and Amber just – I said this last when we, had, we were with Coach Neighbors, and I, I said it, I think it was after UConn. She just – turns it on when the big lights are on. If it's a top 10 matchup, you know she's going to go off. Five for 10 from three, seven for 15 overall from the field, 21 points. It just seems like if you put a top 10 team up against them, she is just going to go off. And I, and I continue to say that, and I still think that the one, really one weakness of this team was lacking one big, but they just continue to shoot well. And the games that they, they haven't really had a bad game where they've all been off in, in quite some time. I feel like it's been at least over a month. But I think that they're in a really good spot. They're, I think they're two games uh, away. I, I don't know their con. I know they're fourteen and seven overall. I think they're con- six in conference. They're, they're what is it? Four and six. Four and six. So so they're still very likely to be able to get to that uh, to that five hundred. You were thinking that they could possibly get this one. And I and uh, up next, I believe it's let me pull up their schedule. Yeah, Mississippi here. State. Mississippi Thursday. State. Okay, so which Mississippi- is a good game because again, gettable. <laughs> yeah, gettable. But, yeah. No, Mississippi State lost their key player from last year, and Vic Schaefer went to Texas. So it's at home. It's going to be a late game at home. So, I mean, it's a win. Not saying a must win, but it's crucial because they got a little road stretch before they play some final. They I don't think they got three games left at home. So there's not that many opportunities to come see this team play. Yeah, you got Mississippi State at home. You got back to back. You got Mississippi State at home, and then Ole Miss, which is very, very gettable. We'll keep using that word, uh, Zach Arns. And then you go to LSU, and then to Auburn. And LSU, Auburn, both teams that are struggling this year. And then Alabama, you finish up at home. And so you look at the remainder of this, and definitely uh, you could sweep it. Um, of course, you could, could have, should, would, but. I really believe that they're they're in a perfect spot right now, just because they started to pick after that UConn game. It was kind of they just they kept having those tough losses in those SEC games. A and M being one of them, of course the the last second one to Georgia, but the remainder of February they've got a lot of chance to make some noise. And I mean, I think that this team they're going to finally possibly. I know they haven't clinched it yet, but I really do believe this is a tournament team. And you got a good ch- shot to uh, do some things in the SEC tournament as well. You know, the last two years, this team, co- COVID uh, being last they owned year. They that stadium, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Co- yeah, so co- COVID being uh, what's what kept them out last year. And then, of course, you know, we'll not talk about the whole Tennessee deal. That is what it is. But, you know, yeah. you know that this team is just so hungry to get there. They know they've got the talent. I'll continue to say, I mean, they are up there with one of the best backcourts in the country, and you know that they are just extremely hungry to get into that tournament and make some noise. Well, and another thing is they're doing all this travel the same day, you know, same day travel, same day travel. You're going to get in a tournament setting. One, I mean, the last two years, they've just killed it. Chelsea Dungy is the queen of Bonsacruz Arena there in Greenville, South Carolina. And 
Now they're going to be in a setting where they're going to be in a hotel. They're going to be in a stationary. They're not going to have to worry about traveling. To, and I think that's what, you know, Mike Neighbors has alluded to this kind of, that, um, you know, it's going to be good for them. They're used to grinding. Now they're going to be able to rest and playing in a tournament that they're used to playing good in. That's only going to set them up. And then they're going to San Antonio, Amber Ramirez's backyard, and to play in the NCAA, which I know – like I said, I can say ninety-eight percent sure they're going to make the turn. They're that. I mean, they're oh, that yeah. good. Yeah. Coach Neighbors has alluded that they might let some teams in that have a losing record. It all depends with this COVID stuff, but they're going to really reflect on who you played. And I don't think anybody in the nation, and this is not a homer take, I don't think anybody in the nation has played a tougher schedule than Arkansas has. I don't think I, that you could argue that at all. I mean, yeah. two, t- especially two Baylor, top five wins. Yeah, yeah, you got Baylor, you know, Maryland, UConn, and then you got your SEC slate. Texas so, A&M twice, top ten yep. team. Yeah, And then you got South Carolina. I mean, so, yeah, they're definitely a tournament team. I'm excited to see – you know, how they're going to do and, you know, pushing ahead, we're going to have more than likely have Tyler out there in, in Greenville again, give us some good coverage of the SEC women's tournament. So be ready for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Tyler did it. Tyler Butler of Sport and Culture Media, uh, Porter's business partner, did a phenomenal job last year with the games that he was able to cover. Um, now I know that actually, I think he got to cover the whole women's tournament and then it got canceled like right after that, wasn't it? I think, didn't we get to play for the whole, the men's were the one that played one game and got canceled. Yeah, yeah the a, women played the week before, and they got because that's when they got beat by South Carolina. That's right. That's right. Yeah, beat Auburn. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, yeah, that was right they around beat, the time uh, that I was leaving. They beat San Texas A and M. That's yeah, because they beat Auburn, and then I think Texas A and M, and then lost to South Carolina. So yeah, they've they've had some good history, man. It's like if they don't beat A and M, they're right there. So that's really turning into uh, to quite a rivalry. But man, that God, that that'd be so cool to get to San Antonio, man. I uh, I was there during the 2018 men's tournament. It just that city just goes wild. And, of course, like you said, uh, Amber Ramirez, straight out of Karen J. Wagner High School there in San Antonio. I didn't uh, – I worked about five minutes from there uh, when I was there. You know, a very special place to me. And it's a basketball town. You know, all we had was the Spurs, and that's the only pro team. And, and they, they love their UTSA Roadrunners and their Spurs. And so it's a, a basketball crazed town and a lot of fun there uh, whenever they do uh, – when they have events there. But – so, like I said, uh, the women will play uh, on February 11th against Mississippi State at home. That one will be at 8 p.m. on SEC Network. Before we transition into segment two, we're going to be talking with uh, the Cat's Paws beat writer, Derek Terry. He uh, is a Kentucky beat writer, so we're going to be talking about that game. But I want to talk about some Arkansas hockey right now. Now, they are 6-0 and on the season. Uh, they Now, Porter, you've got the stuff right there in front of you, I believe, don't you? I think I had my notes, or actually – I had it pulled up here. I know we were talking about it before. So they're six and zero, yeah. and uh, they swept Missouri State over the weekend. The first game three to one, seven to two, and uh, they've got. I think I said that it was five series left on the year. Um, yeah, we so, had five left. So five left, and so um, they they have d- another series with Dallas Baptist, and then a couple with the Nebraska Hockey Club. And then there's another one that uh, I don't even know what this. I'm not even sure what this logo is here. What kind of D two team they play. What's that? It's, they say it was some kind of D two team they played. Yeah, and they, I, I can't remember the name, but it, well, and our D2. audience has to be patient, patient with us here because I, I am as about illiterate with. And again, I try to uh, to learn everything about this, but we just want to make sure that we give them the coverage that they are due. But hey, man, this is one, and I, I was I would love to uh, put out more stats here. I don't have any in front of me, but the last time I tried to do that, I'm going to have to get better at their names uh, the next time I try that because man, that was just uh, that was just absolutely brutal, but. Either way, the Ice Hogs are doing really well again, 6-0. and Missouri State over the weekend takes them down, and they took them down in their uh, first series. So they're 4-0 against Missouri State. A very, very solid team. You can catch them. We share them anytime that they play on uh, – we share all their live streams on our Twitter page and our Facebook page. So uh, you can follow them, of course, on, on their Twitter and Facebook as well. But we're always tweeting updates and stuff to try to – keep you guys updated. Um, that's what we try to do too, is keep ourselves updated. And so, yeah, well, and also, you know, guys, they play their games in the Jones center. So if you're in Springdale, look, look up the schedule and go check them out. I don't know, you know, the attendance requirements or what's going on with COVID issues, but I mean, go, go check them out. Yeah. They're a lot of fun to watch. And they've had, a, I mentioned it after the first series a couple of weeks ago that, 
I mean, they've had a very successful run in their, what, I think 11, 12-year history. They hadn't been around in a whole long time. But, um, you know, we had Keller Sims on for episode 132, their head coach, and really talks a lot about, you know, the difference of not being recognized by the NCAA and all that, a lot of good stuff, about a 20, 25-minute conversation. But, you know, Porter, I was catching some of that this week, and I was, I was also doing some binge watch since the Razorbacks game with – uh, the men's game with AM got canceled. You know, I got to tell you, I, I I don't like not having Razorback sports in my life, but it was kind of a relaxing weekend to kind of just lay back and watch. I actually – did you ever watch the show Freaks and Geeks? It's about no. 20. So it was the show that got uh, the J- Judd Apatow on the map. It, uh, so it, it premiered in 2000, and it only lasted one season, mainly because they were trying to figure out – the ratings went down a little bit because they couldn't – it was on NBC and they were having trouble finding a spot to work around who wants to be a millionaire, which Regis had just started and the, the ratings were just through the roof. And, you know, Steven Seagal's or not Steven Seagal, uh, Jason Siegel and uh, James Franco, uh, Seth Rogen, a lot of those guys got their starts there. And it talks about basically just kids going through high school in the early 80s. Um, I'll tell you, so, it, you know, again, it's kids going through high school, so they're experimenting. I see that in a much different light as a 30-year-old than I did as like a 10-year-old. <laughs> I didn't realize how completely naive I was at that age. Now, my mom, I remember her being in the background, and she would be like, I don't know if you should be watching this. this is, you know, And, I, of course, I, was, I knew what the birds and the bees were by that time. I knew what marijuana was. I knew what various things were. But then it's like you watch it as an adult, and you're like, Ah, now I see why my mom, I had to sneak that and what my mom was talking about. Yeah. Did you, oh, I know. It's just like if we were watching, you know, kids now watching American Pie and Super Trooper, <laughs> all that, you know, that era that I grew up in. Like, you, like I looked at the time frame of that show in 99. Dude, that was American Pie, Varsity Blues, Super Troopers. I mean, that's also, you know, that's back when Adam Sandler had his Happy Gilmores, all that I guess you could say um, immature comedy, you know, that, that was the era that we grew up in and it was funny. And now it's like, man, I wouldn't want my kids to be watching the stuff that we were quoting by, you know, Marcy blues, you can quote word for word. So, but yeah, I I get it. And it's a testament that you're getting older. Yeah. When you start with with what's really, I'm going to teach you something. I'll give you a little lesson to the audience and to you. When, when you start listening to the music and you're like, man, what is this trash? What is this? What are they saying? You have officially got wow. the old state. Oh, because yeah. When used to say that, and I did it and I caught myself. I was like, did I really just sound like my parents? And from that time forward, you're an old man. I'm a middle-aged dude. I, yeah. I, and I, I, I definitely feel it. I feel it in my bones, and uh, yeah, I no doubt. And and that's, you know, I was thinking about it, too. When we were kids, we could just go in. If you had a TV in your room or, or something like that, you could just go sneak it. They didn't have parental locks and all that back then. Now you can put locks on certain things, and I, mm-hmm. I used to have to go in my room and sneak. South. It's crazy that South Park, even when I, I mean, when we were kids, was still – I mean, that, that showed that and The Simpsons uh, forever. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I my mom was uh, – very strict on all that. She didn't even let me watch Ninja Turtles for the most part. So, yeah, it was uh, that was that was a tough childhood, man. I had to sneak a lot. Oh, of the life things, of so. a private school kid. Oh, yep, exactly. Life of a, of a Southern Baptist kid for sure. So, well, guys, uh, I think Porter, did we cover everything? I think that that's uh, got a good little bit. Thirty minutes there, and before we talk to Derek, I think we just about got it all. Yeah, just and give a shout out to Ty Richardson and his series with the you know trust the process. Yeah, I've gotten to catch a lot of those episodes. He had Phil Elson on, and he always tries to make a point to make their guests cry. And I think he's got all of them, but Danny West. I don't think he cracked him, but Danny got close when he started. Yeah, when he started yeah. talking about his girls, his little daughters, mm-hmm. uh, he he got close, but he did not crack Danny. I don't I don't think he cracked neighbors either. No, neighbors they mainly just talked about when he got Oh, arrested. that's right. Yeah. yeah, when they talked about him getting arrested and uh just kind of just some other funny things like like frat boy type humor stuff. because uh, when you think of John Neighbors, you think about uh, of course you think about radio, but you also think about student section and uh, you know, rowdy type frat boy stuff. So uh that yeah, I don't think he got him to crack, but yeah, I still have not listened. I think 
I've listened to all but the Phil one. Um, I know he did a bonus one with Freddie Coleman, which, by the way, Freddie Coleman, one of my favorites of all time, gave us a follow on the Hog Talk. Yeah. Big time shouts yeah. to him. Big time shouts. Uh, so that was really cool. But, uh, yeah. Kyle, what you got going on in your pod? Yeah. So, um, Gridiron Icons, if you guys have not heard of it, uh, it's Gridiron Icons, Arkansas's greatest high school football coaches. It's uh, just. Something that I actually ran by you and Cabo a couple about a month and a half ago. I was literally sitting at my desk editing a pod, and I was like, man, what can I do for – so, you know, I told you guys about Rocktown Sports. It's, it's uh, the media company that I cover high school sports through, myself and Jay Sterling, a good buddy of mine who owns the company. And I was like, what can I do when we get slow, like this summer when there's no high school sports of any kind? And so I was like, I can start a podcast maybe once a month interviewing legendary high school football coaches, retired or active. And I ran it by you guys. I started talking to other Rex Nelson, uh, Steve Sullivan, Randy Rainwater, you know, iconic guys around Barry Grooms around Arkansas high school football was running it by them. They all loved the idea. So did the first one with, with Don Campbell. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. You can find it on any platform, a lot of great stuff. And then episode two with David Carpenter, the legendary Junction City coach, will drop next week. I think it's going to be on the 17th, which is a Wednesday. Um, got something I've already recorded. I've edited the majority of it. I've still got a little bit. I've still got to um, edit a little bit in the second segment, but a lot of really good stuff. If you like high school sports in Arkansas, we're going to hear from Kevin Payne that played for him at Junction City, and uh, he played in the NFL, played at ULM, and then played in the NFL for the Chicago Bears, and then I think he, he spent some time on a few other teams as well. But a lot of really good stuff there and gotten some great feedback on it so far, Porter. I appreciate you pushing it and uh, and all you guys that have shared it and have given a review. Man, it really means a lot. And, uh, man, yeah, I'm well, really excited. we're all really high excited. school fans, brother. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've, uh, I mean, I've told y'all, I mean, I remember I was, I was four or five years old and my, my aunt took me to an Alma Greenwood game. And I could sit there and be like, okay, flag was on this. and penalty and hold it and I was really good with maps so if I would see a school bus on a Friday night drive by me on the road I would know where it was going like okay that's Clarksville bus they're going to Boonville tonight you know so we all love high school football we all fall in love with the coaches and I've been out of high school you know 20 years so when you brought the idea of getting all these coaches and starting off with a general and hearing the story how he got that name and Randy Rainwater I mean one of the true legends of High school radio. I mean, you got Sully and the broadcasting, but when it when it comes to the voice of high school sports, you know, Randy Rainwater and, and Rick Schaefer, you know, doing the drive time sports and the the it was the sonic blast, you know, for years. I mean, you wanted them to come to your stadium to to pre do a pregame show. So you're sitting on a gold mine. I mean, it's just in its second episode, but I'm telling you, once you start getting these heavy hitters and, and some of these coaches that you all that's going to do is open up a different fan base if you hit northeast and northwest south it's going to take off and it's going to be an i can already tell it's going to be a hit i appreciate it and then you know i'm really excited about it and we've gotten a lot of people involved and that was the thing man is you know yeah i might have created it but i want to get as many people involved in this as possible because you know like you said it a lot there's so many like people that that are so many coaches that people all around this state can relate to that had an impact. Don Campbell had never talked to him a day in my life. I'd followed him my whole life, and now I talk to him almost every Friday. Uh, we just call him to check on him. You know, he's not doing too good right now, and uh, he's battling cancer. And um, you know, he's he's not. Uh, I mean, he's he's making it, but you know, it's he's, he's having some tough times. And um, you know, I call and check on him. We talk some football and everything. And then David Carpenter, we've. Had a connection, my you know, my mom and him graduated high school together, grew up in Arkadelphia, went to Henderson together, and now I live in Arkadelphia. So, you know, it's it's more about just uh, people that it, you know it means a lot to the families. I've had a lot of family members tell me that it means a lot to them, and former players and and fans of of high school football. And so, it's it's another been thing really I wanted important. to have before we go is I, I think it we get to bring back a lot of the coaches that we've might have forgotten about, you know, to Campbell. And then if we get to talk about Frank McClellan and you go Bernie Cox, Barry Lunny Sr., you know, all these coaches that Joe Fred Young, you know, I think this is really going to open up and, and really give the coaches a new light that they didn't have because they didn't have YouTube and social media and all that stuff going on during their playing days. You had the Arkansas Democrat 
and, and then Fearless Friday, the message board that I used to get on. You know, so this is really going to – I think you're opening something. I don't think you you and Jason you realize how big this can be. Is this going to – like you said, with the appreciation and the families, this is opening up a new realm of – really deep diving into the greatest coaches because we talk about the players and the teams, but, and I think what sparked it is we were talking about the summer series when we're wanting to do the rivalries and the top teams and the coaches and look what it's become. It's become this podcast and I can't wait for every episode. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, we're very excited about it and guys, thank you all for the support already. We're just about a month. I think it was about uh, three or two and a half, three weeks ago that we released the Don Campbell episode and, I mean, I'm going to try to keep this thing going as long as I possibly can. So, again, that's that's Gridiron Icons, Arkansas's greatest high school football coaches. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, and that's a production of Rocktown Sports Media. You'll see that in the picture there, and that's another way that you'll know that you're in the right spot. So, other than that, we got Derek Terry of Cat's Paws 247 up next. Stay with us. With American National, you get a dedicated agent who will help you make well-informed decisions about protecting your lifestyle. Call us today for a free review of your commercial, home, and auto policies, or to learn more about our customizable farm and ranch insurance. Let the Atkins Agency be your agency of choice. You can visit us on the web at theatkinsagency.com. Call us at 501-428-0877 or connect with us through Facebook. Go Hogs! Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. We're back on episode number 164 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Now joining me on the Workman's Travel Center hotline is Kentucky beat writer for the Cat's Paws 247, Derek Terry. Derek, appreciate you joining me, man. It's been a while since we've talked, and i, I got to start off with uh, what did you think of the Super Bowl? I know it wasn't that, that entertaining, but were you pretty shocked that the Todd Bowles defense for, for Tampa Bay was able to hold Kansas City to just nine points? Yeah, it was. Um, and thanks for having me on. Uh you know, I I had a friend. I, I didn't bet on the Super Bowl this year. I had a friend talking to me about it on Saturday, and I told him he bet the Chiefs, which I think was a very – I'm sure they were favored. I didn't even look at the lines, but a very logical decision probably. But part of me did think, you know, it's hard to bet against the Chiefs because I felt like they were the better team, but it's also very difficult to bet against Tom Brady. And, uh, the, yeah, the outcome of that game last night was – I mean, I don't think anyone expected a three-touchdown win for the Bucks, but I love all the narratives now that that come from a Super Bowl like that. With you know, was Bill Belichick is he actually a good coach, or was it all Tom Brady, and all the things that will that will carry us through an off season uh, of the NFL. But no, I was. Uh, it's always kind of a sad night. I said this when the Reds lost their final baseball game. Like anytime the season ends, it's still kind of a sad night. But really, props to the NFL though for being able to complete. A season, they got some uh, some of the healthcare workers in there last night for the Super Bowl. So, definitely hoping this fall is a, more of a return to normalcy. So, that's all we can hope for. I think yeah, at this point, that's February. pretty. Yeah, that's pretty much what we talked about on the previous segment. Was just like, yeah, you always hate to see it in, but man, we made it through high school, we made it through college, and then it's like you know when you make it through one of them, you're like, okay, can we get through the the rest? And then it's <laughs> like you know after college, you're like, can you make it all the way through the NFL playoffs? And so. We're just happy to get to this point. And, well, as far as uh, speaking of getting to certain spots, you know, we're at a pretty interesting point here in the college basketball season. You know, UK 10th in the SEC. This is usually when they start to really turn the corner February, March. You know, once you get closer to NCAA tournament time, Arkansas in a four-way tie for third. And so, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about this via text, just kind of some things that are going on. 
with Kentucky, and I, I was I had asked you about a month ago if you think that they will get it turned around, and you had told me that they don't that that you don't think that they will. And man, what what is going on in, in Lexington? I mean, it's just you know, do you think it's maybe Cal just doesn't have it this year, or this is just a different crop of kids that just aren't buying in? What is, what is it that's going on? Man, um, there are a lot of ways I think I could go with this answer. And I know Arkansas fans, very smart fan base, definitely love their college basketball. So uh, I'll kind of start. I'm sure they're at least somewhat familiar with the situation. But, like, I think here the kind of what I'm getting from the fan base that, that I see out there is 12 years, which is the year Cal's in. That's a lot of years to go through as much roster turnover as Kentucky has had. And I think you're seeing a buildup with fan frustration to the point that last year's team. So this is kind of a long-winded way to say that a pandemic year is, is awful in general, but then you add in basketball and you're trying to fit 10 new players on a team. It's not a recipe you need to go for. And I know Arkansas, you know, they've, they've had, they had a lot of transfers coming and things like that too. But for Kentucky, like Kentucky last year won the SEC by three games, but the feeling around Lexington, and I even felt this way, was that it was far from one of Cal's better teams. Like they ended up with a decent record, but this is a team that lost to Evansville. Like they lost to a kind of a bad Utah team, like far from one of his more dominant teams, but they still lost like almost every single player off of it was a good team. I wasn't a great team, but it was a good team. And you look at this year's roster when you don't have a guy like Ashton Hagens who went undrafted, you don't have EJ Montgomery, a power forward who started last year, he went undrafted. Johnny Juzang, for whatever reason, transferred back to UCLA. Like, he could have been in the starting lineup this year. Like, they've just lost so many guys over the years that, you know, really, no, no one ever complains about losing the John Walls of the world, Anthony Davis. Everybody knows those guys are, you know, going to have long NBA careers. But, like, where is Ashton Hagen's going? You know, like, why is he leaving? Things like that. So, the culture built at UK, I think, has been a big problem in terms of, I mean, think about this year. Like, we're having to ask ourselves here, if Keon Brooks is even going to be back next year, Keon Brooks has maybe had three really good games in his career. He's coming off of his best game against Tennessee, but like that kid's not going to the NBA after this year. At least he shouldn't. There's no other school he should transfer to. But the fact that we're even having to have those kind of conversations tells you that it's gotten to a point that's just quite frankly, kind of ridiculous. Um, but for this team in specific, the major problem is to point guard play. I would say um, it's not the only problem, but it's one of the problems. Uh, Devin asked you, is a reclass guy, although he is the actual age he should be for, I think he's like 18 or 19. So he's not really young, uh, but he was a reclass guy and he was, you know, a fairly highly rated recruit. I think a borderline five star, but not the kind of guy probably that Cal thought would be the starting point guard this year. I mean, before Emmanuel quickly went crazy in SEC play last year, uh, I think there was a lot of people who thought that he would be the point guard on this year's team. So Askew started off pretty bad. They actually tried Terrence Clark there at a certain point and Terrence did not really play all that well. And then he got hurt. So you're in a spot where, I mean, Cal, any any team, is, it's very important that you have a good point guard play. Um, but they're having a hard time getting guys some good shots. I would say B.J. Boston has not lived up to his billing as a – and he entered this season as a top five recruit. I think ESPN had him as high as number two on their draft board. So he has not played to that ability. Uh, just all the way around, like no one has really played all that well. So in a strange way, I mean, if you look at the roster, you see a lot of five- and four-star guys. But I would just say the talent level is just not – probably what we're used to at UK. Well, and you talked about the kind of what Cal has done over 12 years. Everybody, I mean, there's a documentary about the one and done. That's what, <laughs> when you think about yeah. him, I mean, anybody, even if you don't know basketball, if you talk about John Calipari, you talk about UK, you think of one and done. Do you think that narrative has become beat in so many people's heads that it's just expected that if you come to Kentucky, that you're pretty much in the most cases that you're done after one year. And that's maybe why one of the reasons you could possibly be in that situation. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think a kid like Ashton Hagens, when he came to Kentucky, he had it in his mind that he was only going to be there for one year. And then as it turned out, you know, he didn't play well enough. I guess you could say his freshman year to be that kind of guy. So he was fine. Most guys are fine coming back for two. I don't think they want to come back for two at UK, but they're, you know, it's fine. Well, they've had a real problem keeping the kids like that. I mean, you think about Hagens. I mentioned Montgomery. I mean, Hagens at least got signed by the Timberwolves. I think he's actually even played in a few games this year. He's, you know, he's going to be a guy who's going to struggle, though, I think, just to hold on to a roster. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say he at least made a team this year. 
in the past, you think about guys like Wendy and Gabriel, who, to his credit as well, has managed to get onto an, an NBA team, is, I think, still playing, or at least he was last season. But he's another guy who didn't get drafted. I mean, had he came back for another year, uh, you know, who knows how that would have been for Kentucky. Like, I think there's a real problem in this program right now, guys staying to develop. It's almost like they view themselves as a failure. And, I mean, to an extent, I think about a guy like Nick Richards. Nick Richards did stay three years, and he ended up getting drafted last year. But he came into a class that had Shea Gilgis-Alexander, had P.J. Washington, uh, Hamadou Diallo, Jared Vanderbilt, all these guys who are on NBA rosters. I think just from a peer pressure standpoint, I can kind of understand where you might think like, hey, I mean, did I do something wrong? Like, how do I have guys from my age I came to UK with who are doing great things? Um, I can see why there's a rush maybe to, to get out of there. And whenever you sell your program as being – you know, there's a lot of great things about Kentucky basketball. I mean, historically, one of the very best programs, if not the best program in the history of college basketball. You can be on the bright lights. There's a lot of local fame. And I mean, everybody in the town, I mean, in Lexington, you know, it's a big deal if you're a Kentucky basketball player in a normal year, uh, not, not in a COVID year where you aren't really out and about. So there are a lot of reasons why you would want to come to UK and be that kind of one in the player. But it does feel like there's not a spot for a kid to stay and develop. And this year, I think, like, I think in six weeks or so, once the season's over, you have some guys start to make their NBA decisions and maybe transfer decisions. I think you will know fairly soon how, this, how the Calier these next few years is going to go. If they have another mass exodus after this season, I would say it's probably broken forever and there's no repairing it. But you get five or six guys to come back and stay. Uh, I think that's a building block for next season, trying to turn this thing around. And it's been almost 10 years since Kentucky won the national championship with Anthony Davis and all those guys. And ever since that time, I feel like now you you would know much more than me because you're right there on the inside. But I feel like after that season where they almost went undefeated, where they lost in the final four to Wisconsin, that it's just kind of the fan base has started in some ways has kind of grown tired of like, look, yeah, John has has gotten us to this point where he's always competitive. He's, he's getting us to the elite eights, the final fours. But then there's that other one that's just like, well, we got to win a championship soon. But how how is I mean I, I think I kind of know the answer to this, but you being on the inside there, I mean, has has the fan base for the most part kind of turned on him this year, or really how is it? Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely been rough rough this year. I mean, um, if you look at the records, Kyle, that it's it's the worst year they've had in a hundred seasons. Like everything you got, well, 1926, 27, close to hundred years, I should say. I mean, pre Adolf Rupp. So, uh, the fewest wins, I think they had 13 wins in 1988 or 89, one of those years when they were going on probation. That was before I was even born. But the program was right before they hired Rick Pitino. Like, they were about to go on probation. There were reasons, anyway. You could see why they were that bad. But this team, I highly doubt, is even going to get to 13 wins. So, they're going to have the fewest wins in a very, very long time. Well, where I'll say the narrative, I think, with Cal – that's not totally fair, but I, I do understand the criticisms. Like, you're right. I think part of this fan base was broken in 2015 when they lost to Wisconsin in the national semifinal when they had won 38 straight games, I believe more games in a sing- single season than consecutive games, that is, that any team has ever won in college basketball. And then they came up short. I, I think that did hurt a lot of people. But at the same time, and where I think the narrative is starting to get kind of messed up around here is – People are acting like he's not had a good team since then, and that's just not true. I would argue in 2017 with De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk and Bam Adebayo, had they not played North Carolina, which I, I believe, Kyle, if I'm right, that year Arkansas played North Carolina in the tournament, I believe, right? 20, yeah. So, second round? Yeah, that was 2017. 2017. When we sh- oh, man, that's still, that one still gives me nightmares. Yeah, we, yeah oh, so Kentucky played that yeah. team. North Carolina went yeah. won the title that year. and I mean, UK was right there. I felt like – you can't beat North Carolina earlier in the season. Lake Monk had scored 47 points and they beat them out in Las Vegas. Like that team was good enough to win a title. They did and they came up short. That's what happens in a one game elimination tournament. Um, 2019, Tyler Hero, PJ Washington, again, another team. They had beat Auburn by 30 points earlier that season and got to a point they lose in overtime. So maybe they could have come away with the title those two years. Had they, had they gotten past the teams right there? They didn't. That's, that's how it's remembered. But, um, this year for sure is – it's just the – I think the one-and-done fatigue. And, I, and I've said this a few times this year, and, and I believe it. Like, I don't think the Calipari era was ever supposed to be meant to last this long. You think about when he came to Kentucky, kind of where he was in his career. I mean, I think he was 49 when he got to UK. I'd really revitalized his career at Memphis. Um, 
those first four or five years uh, outside of the NIT season, I mean, Kentucky had was was probably the dominant brand of them in Duke. And 2015, he probably assembled, in my opinion, and um, maybe I'm biased towards this. I don't think I am, but like I truly feel like maybe the most talented team top to bottom ever. And, you know, they come up two games short of an undefeated season. And it's it's hard to get back to that point. I mean, if you're going to judge everything off that season, it is hard to get back to there. And um, there were rumors before that year, actually, before they almost went undefeated, that he was going to go to the Cavs uh, and have like a front office role and be the head coach. And he chose to stay because the Harrison Twins came back for another year. So I think I don't. But what I'm trying to say is I don't think that he ever thought he would be in a spot where 12 years you're trying to build a new team every single year. And all these issues we've talked about with um, feeling like, you know, can you stay at UK two or three years or will you be viewed as a failure? Like it is hard to kind of break that mold, I think. And so now that's why I think you're at a point where I see two things happening. Either he gets back to where he is signing the very best players in college basketball, which he's not doing right now. He's still getting good players, but not the very best like he used to, or you got to just kind of have a whole messaging change and try to become like a normal college basketball program where it's okay to stay for two or three years. So he'll either get to that sweet spot or I think he'll, uh, he'll move on with this college basketball or I don't see him going anywhere else in college. I mean, he's got a great contract. He's at a, one of the best schools. I mean, and at this point in his career, I don't really know who would want him from the NBA. So that's why I think we're kind of got a few interesting years coming up here to see if he can get it turned around. But any UK fan, if you're reading out there and wanting him to be fired, like I think that's crazy talk. I mean, the guy has been one of the best coaches since he's been at Kentucky. Um, I think, yeah, this year has been dreadful. Like I said, worst team probably 100 years. Not acceptable, but at the same time, the guy absolutely, I think, deserves the right to to fix things. He's He's earned that much. When you look at the other side of this game with Arkansas and Kentucky, so Arkansas did what they were supposed to do, went 9-0 and in non-con. Then they open up with a really big win on the road at Auburn, what at least seemed like a really big win at that time. Then they lose, they lose four out of five and then get on a little bit of a winning streak and have looked much better. Um, they've at least beaten the teams that they were supposed to beat, had a really bad heartbreaker there against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. And then they had – I hated to see the game get postponed against A&M, but I will say – from an injury standpoint, it was really good that we at least didn't because we had two big men and Jalen Williams and Justin Smith that really needed rest. And apparently I, I heard, I didn't actually hear this like with my own ears, but I had heard through the grapevine that Muss had said on the radio that Desi Sills was not able to hardly raise his, his arm over his shoulder due to that hard fall that he had taken. And so we really needed that rest. But Arkansas, though, even though they're in a not bad spot at 14 and 5, they really need to continue their winning ways. And so it's this seems really like one of those ones, that, like one of those games as we're in early, I guess get pushing on to mid-February, that either one of the – now, Kentucky sitting at 5-12, and 12, things aren't looking good for them. But like I said, this is that time of year when they really start to turn things on. And, I mean, you know, they could get hot in this month, make a run in the SEC tournament. How do you like this matchup with Arkansas with what you've seen so far? I don't know how much of the Razorbacks you've watched – but, you know, with the history of this rivalry dating back into the 1990s when both of these teams were really, really good, how do you like the matchup as we stand right now? Yeah, so I've watched one game of Arkansas. I watched them play Tennessee uh, way back whenever – let's see, that was uh, January 6th. So it was a month ago. I've not seen them since. Uh, but I know the, the kind of style that, that Arkansas play. I hope I don't offend anybody, but they kind of remind me a little bit of kind of how Alabama plays. Am I, am I crazy wrong on that? you know, kind of spread it out, drive, shoot some threes. That's kind of how they play, right? They, they do, yeah. I think a lot of that is just because we haven't had much. We've got more of an inside presence this year with Justin Smith, with the way that, especially defensively with Jalen Williams, um, with Connor Vanover, you just don't really know what you're going to get. But, yeah, I mean, I would say that that's, uh, you know, we can't shoot the three like they can. But, yeah, that we definitely like to do the perimeter shooting. Um, and then, of course, we lost the mid-range jumper with uh, Jimmy Witt last year. But, overall, uh, I would definitely put more faith in our outside game than than in the paint. Well, I'll try to answer this then from from a UK perspective. I don't want to I don't want to misspeak too much and offend the, the Arkansas fan base. Um, the teams that have really given Kentucky problem. If you watch, if you watch the Tennessee game the other night, you know, Tennessee had two wings, Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, who Kentucky could not guard at all getting to the rim. Uh, and Kentucky stayed man to man the whole time, and for whatever reason, Calipari did not play Isaiah Jackson by far their best paint presence. Um, more than 12 minutes. So those guys were able to get downhill, got to the free throw line a lot, a lot more than teams normally do against Kentucky. Um, 
But I think the weird thing for Arkansas this year is, I mean, you would think in a normal year going to Rupp, if you get a win there, like it could be a really big boost for for the resume. Whereas this year, I think it's like a quadrant three win. So it might actually like hurt them <laughs> if they were to lose to Kentucky uh, tomorrow night. But no, I think Arkansas, you know, offensively, I mean, the thing for Kentucky is it has such a hard time scoring. I mean, they managed to get to, I think, 71 against Tennessee the other night. But if you look at their losses, almost every single game has been in the 60s or the high 50s. So if Arkansas comes out and plays pretty well on defense, I mean, you're, you probably feel like if you can just get the 65 points in Rupp Arena, you're going to have a pretty good chance to win. And I know the way the Arkansas plays, the way that uh, Musselman, the job he's done there on the offensive end, I mean, Ken Palm projects a 70 to 69 score, but I got to think Arkansas probably feels pretty good about scoring more than that. It looks like they you know, only put up 61 in their last win, but glancing at their box scores, I mean, I see a lot of games in the, in the 80s and 90s. So if they can have a good night shooting the ball and rub, um, Place good enough defense. I mean, Kentucky does not have a whole lot of weapons that really scare you this year, which is which is weird to say. So, on paper, I think I think you got feel pretty good about this game if you're a Razorbacks fan. But again, I would say this too. I mean, the five and twelve record is pretty bad on UK's end, but they haven't really been blown out a ton. Like if you look at a lot of Kentucky's games, they were kind of right there in the final four minutes, outside of a few. Alabama beat them down pretty bad, and uh, Georgia Tech beat them pretty good. But a lot of those other games, North Carolina, Louisville, uh, Auburn. Tennessee even. I mean, they were right there in the second half and just couldn't finish. So you got to think maybe Cal thinks they're close. I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I think he's saying what a coach should say. Uh, but again, like, I would expect the one-point game, you know, it's a pretty close game that Ken Palm's rejecting. But I, I do think it'll be a pretty tight game. Um, but again, if, if Kentucky's struggling to score the ball and Arkansas can just get to around 65, which is pretty much nothing uh, in today's college basketball, I think they'll stand a pretty good chance. Yeah, and I'll tell you, though, Derek, one thing, if you haven't noticed over the years, that it's just always seems to be that the biggest stars, and I know that you guys haven't had a lot like we've been talking about. They haven't really lived up to expectations like B.J. Boston and all those other ones. But all of the biggest stars tend to just go off against Arkansas. It doesn't matter what kind of – like, you know, Cade Cunningham had been coming off of two games that he sat out against at Oklahoma State um, when we played them. And he looked like it was – I was thinking at the very beginning that it was going to be like, man, he'll play a little bit, he'll probably contribute, but I just don't think he can make it through two game or through a whole game after missing two. And dude comes out and just balls out. But that, that happens in football, basketball, you name it. But we have not won at Rupp Arena. We haven't beaten Kentucky since we won at Rupp Arena in 2014. Now, we did win both of those games that year. But, man, I don't know. I'm not – I haven't really been – like betting or picking scores or anything of the basketball games this year. But I'll tell you, I, I'm still scared about this one because at the end of the day, you guys still do have all that talent. And I just, again, I keep going back to how usually it's February where Kentucky turns it around. So I'm hoping, man, but uh, I don't know. Um, I'm so you're expecting a 30-point game from B.J. Boston I, tomorrow? I, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me a bit, you know. Um, so, you know, as we're recording, of course, it's Monday night. Well, Tuesday will be my birthday, and I've said ever since the schedule came out that all I want is a Kentucky – because, man, like I said, you know, we had some good teams. We, talk, we talked about some of the great Kentucky teams. Some of the best Arkansas teams – now, when I say some of the best Arkansas teams, now they you can't compare them with, like, the dominant Kentucky teams of the last 10 years or whatever. But that year, the year that you guys uh, had that 38-0 season was when we played y'all in the SEC tournament – or SEC championship game. And, you know, Bobby Portis and all that – Michael Qualls. And I thought 100%. I was like, I think that they're going to be the ones to take these guys down. I think that this could be – I think I had Arkansas around, like, a sweet 16, elite eight – uh, and Willie Colley Stein just uh, it was dominating, but we couldn't do anything against him. Uh, and that, I mean, it was that whole team was. I think that, that whole that team had like Trey Lyles, Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Colley Stein, that the Harrison twins. I mean, you could just go on and on. Of course, Devin you, Booker. Yeah, Devin <laughs> Booker. I mean, it's just like it's not even fair, man. It, oh, God. But you know, um, but hey, man, you know, like I said, I think it's, I think it could be uh, one of those. Uh, you can really just throw records out the window, um, and you think I know that really before. What, when, what year were you born? 
Uh, 94. So you were 94. So that was the year that Arkansas won the national championship. And I remember a little bit about that game. I was only four at the time. So I, I remember just like bits and pieces of it. But I do remember some of those 90s matchups against Kentucky and Arkansas. And, I, and I'm not saying that that, that uh, Tuesday's matchup is going to match up to that. But I definitely think that you can throw records out the window. And, and as we close out here, I wanted to ask you, so – how do you think Kentucky's season will go? I wanted to ask you because, you know, like you said, they're struggling this year. It's been one of those definite years that fans are not used to. And with, with their history of what they usually do as you get closer to NCAA tournament time, how do you see them faring for the rest of the season? I think um, I, whether or not I would predict them to win these games, I, I probably wouldn't. But I would say, like, I would still view Arkansas, Auburn, Vandy, A&M, like Florida, Mississippi, I think all those games are winnable. Like, I don't think they're just that much worse than any of those other teams. If they just happen to play well for a night, I think they could win those games, but I don't think they'll win them all. So I thought, I, I don't see them getting to 10 wins. I think they'll beat Vanderbilt. They'll be A&M at seven. Uh, maybe then come up with a few others, but I, I, I think they're going to be in a spot too, where the first time in the, maybe not the first time in the Calier. Actually, maybe it is where they'll have to play on Thursday of the SEC tournament. So they're almost always a lock to be the one or two seed playing on that Friday. So, I mean, I see that I see their season ending in Nashville. I don't see any way that they can string together three or four wins uh, to get to the NCAA tournament. And even then, if they did do that, if, I mean, it would be a nice, yeah, you know, I think everybody would be happy for the kids that they were able to string together some wins and get into the tournament. But at the same time, if your goal at Kentucky is to make the national, you know, to be a contender for the national championship, that's not going to be the case either way. I mean, this year is already a wash pretty much in that regard. So it's, it's weird because it kind of got to this point in football season too, where like the more interesting storylines were going to be what happened after the season. So I think it's kind of going to be the same deal for basketball. Um, I see a, you know, potentially a, a 14, 15 loss season for the basketball, to, yeah, for this team. And then, you know, we'll have to see after that what kind of changes are made, who comes back or whatnot. But, I do think, and I was just saying this on my radio segment here locally, like I think it will be the first time that the national media next year and even the SEC media like just does not give Kentucky the benefit of the doubt going into next season because even this year, Kentucky was a preseason top 10 team and they lost 10 guys off last year's team. <laughs> so people have just kind of taken what Cal had always done at Kentucky and it seemed like, you know, even some of his, you know, even the teams that were not his best teams seem to have found a way to be playing their best ball and at least give you that feeling that, hey, once since my tournament gets here, Kentucky could be one of those teams. So I think uh, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of the national talk about this program going into next offseason. But it's been a tough year. And really, I mean, I, I know it sounds like you might be a little bit worried about Kentucky just figuring things out tomorrow night. Like I've not seen anything from this team that would give me that kind of the kind of confidence that they would just show up and just absolutely turn it around. But again, Still a lot of five-star guys, still individually guys you think have talent, and maybe if they can put it all together. And I guess you'd never say never, but nothing that I've seen from this team suggests to me that uh, they're magically going to just get a whole lot better at this point in the year. Yeah, I've been starting off the last few pods, the I guess over the last two or three weeks, just, you know, hey, whoever we've been talking with, would, would you believe me if I would tell you that Alabama <laughs> and Missouri would be the top? Quanzo Martin's done a great job. Nate Oates, now Nate Oates has definitely got a uh, – a um, very, very senior-laden team. I don't actually I don't know if they're all seniors, but a lot of experience. Uh, of course, you know, starting with John Perry, the guy that can hit threes from Uganda. I mean, that guy's just like all over. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's definitely been – and we thought – and just, you know, we knew it was going to be definitely uh, some surprises with the way that the pandemic, uh, you know, just you, you never know, man. Everything is just – the only thing that seems to have stayed the same is that Tom Brady's continuously winning Super Bowl. That's about <laughs> the only thing in the sports world. And that Alabama's dominant uh, in football. So, yeah. And, yeah, I'll tell you what, it's real easy being an Alabama fan right now, but – so cool. Well, uh, well, Derek, you recently started, didn't you uh, start a podcast fairly recently? Uh, I know you've been writing for Cat's Paws for a little while, but didn't you? I thought that I'd seen that on your Twitter. Yeah, uh, yeah. within the last year, I think uh, last August. Uh, okay, okay. Me and a guy named Sean Smith, who also covers Kentucky, we started a podcast called Kentucky Daily. Um, it, 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 well, it really was daily for a time. We were recording every single day, but it's kind of fallen off a little bit. 
to be honest with you, I don't think people love listening every single day talking yeah. about a bad basketball team. And then the football team too. There's actually a lot of excitement for the football team. I think coming up next year, even though they just had a losing record, but like within the season, Kentucky had like one of the worst offenses in the country, at least passing the ball. They were not very fun to watch. So it was also hard to kind of talk about that, but yeah, we do, we do have a podcast. It's called Kentucky daily. Uh, I would imagine we will have a show on Wednesday, at least talking about the Arkansas game. So if people want to tune into that, that'll be good. And then I don't know, whatever year it is, Kyle and Kentucky plays Arkansas again in football, maybe like 10 years from now with the way that the <laughs> SEC West uh, does things. And I'm sure we'll have a, a preview then, but yeah. how are the Hogs looking this year in football? I'm sure um, Sam Pittman, uh, people are probably fairly happy with his first year given well, the circumstances. Yeah. You know, you're never happy with three wins, but considering what we've been through, you know, it's kind of funny because when you and I had first connected in 2019, whenever I'd had you on my previous podcast, we were about to play you guys, and, and I, we thought during that game, hey, this could be the turning point that we're at. We were already having a terrible year, but it's like, you know, we're at, at Kentucky. You guys had a pretty good team. We can really turn it around and get our first SEC win in X amount, you know, two years, whatever it was. And then right after we lost that game, that's when we kind of knew it was the beginning of the I I knew it was the beginning of the end after we lost <laughs> to San Jose State. But then after that, I think that's when, you know, we started getting decommits, more decommits on top of what we had already had. And, uh, but you know, overall, the thing is, is we needed a guy, I continuously have said that we needed a guy to come in and lay the foundation, get guys that, to want to play football again, basically. And that's exactly what Sam did. And so, you know, he just signed the 21st class, uh, and, and recruit on national signing day. And so really excited about what the future holds, of course, future and we're close and all those little cliches have kind of gotten uh, tiresome and it's just really falling on deaf ears, deaf ears, but you know, we're, we we think we're in a good spot right now. Football, basketball, of course, you know, we're always very solid in baseball. But, you know, it's, uh, man, you never know. You just, we'll have to just kind of wait and see. We, we're not very uh, accustomed to success lately. Uh, but, you know, you just got to do you. what you got to do. So, well, Derek, man. Well, I'm always excited to talk some football. So, I was yeah. just happy to hear that. Uh, that uh, Arkansas is uh, going to turn things around. It's it's one of the few SEC football stadiums I've not been to. I've been to Bud Walton Arena for a game, covering yeah. a game there. But looking forward to the day that uh, Kentucky plays down there in football. Well, we'll definitely have to have you in Fayetteville, man. I hadn't actually been up there, you know, because when I had talked to you when we did the podcast last, I was in San Antonio doing Arkansas stuff. And, you know, now I'm back in the States. We'll have to definitely have you in Fayetteville sometime, man. But, uh, but nonetheless, Derek, again, it is always great talking with you, my man. And uh, we'll certainly do it here down the road. All right, I appreciate you having me on. Well, guys, that will do it for episode number 164 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Again, if you haven't already, please be sure and subscribe, rate, review the pod. Other than that, for Derek Terry, my name is Kyle Sutherland. We will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.